Hello everyone, welcome to the Transform Podcast. Uh, my name is Andrew Farhat and I have a new guest today and his name is PJ Arsval and he is a graduate from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, my alma mater. Uh, awesome and I'm grateful that he's with us today. And um, so in this podcast, what we do is we cover difficult questions uh, that are proposed to the Christian faith and, and really all questions are welcome. You could submit them to hello at sjdenver.org. Um, and then in addition, we want to encourage you, if you have been blessed uh, by anything that you've heard here, we do uh, encourage you to subscribe or follow, and you could share it with any of your friends that you think uh, could benefit from this, and even some of your enemies too, that if you want to just talk to them about the Bible, you can. So PJ, then so far what we've covered is, is the Bible history. And I think what we've presented arguments in favor of that understanding with extra biblical sources verifying the historicity of what is stated in the Bible as well as a very friendly uh, item which is archaeological findings friendly to the Bible. But that still begs the question, is the Bible divinely inspired? So divine inspiration means that there's a higher power that is influencing or inspiring the, the authors of what's written down. Um, and I think uh, there, in my journey, I would just say, I used to be skeptical of divine inspiration. I remember having conversations with my mom, like, there's no way, you know, I don't know, this is not making sense to me. Um, then, then there was something that changed my mind. And what changed my mind was my investigation of prophecy. So prophecy, by definition, is a prediction of the future. And in my research, I found, and this was me in college, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. Okay, so now, if he were to, did he fulfill some? Did he fulfill eight? Did he fulfill ten? Uh, he fulfilled all 300. Okay, so then, you know, obviously there's, you know, so I'm, my wheels are turning yeah. at that point. Okay, so now Peter Stoner, who's a scientist, said that the probability that Jesus could fulfill just eight of these prophecies is extremely stunning. Hmm. So uh, according to probability, um, it's unlikely that he would um, even fulfill eight but yet he fulfills 300. Um, and those prophecies include that Jesus would be born of a woman, that he would de descend uh, from Abraham, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Okay, so again, now that's one that he couldn't have orchestrated, right? Yeah. You know, you don't get to orchestrate what hospital you get born <laughs> into, right? Or what um, manger, yeah. You know, like I didn't have, I was born in group health, I think, in Seattle. I had no decision-making power on that. Yeah. Um, uh, that he would be rejected by his own people. Uh, he would be presented as a king riding on a donkey. He would be betrayed by a friend. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So even 30 pieces of silver that Judas actually gave as blood money to the Pharisees was foretold, foretold yeah. in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. And that's written uh, over 400 years uh, before this even happened. Um, and then that the blood money would be thrown on the temple floor and be used to buy a potter's field. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13. That's a detail. Like, 
okay? And then also that he would be crucified. Now, what was stood out to me about the prophecies regarding crucifixion, which occur in Psalm 22, 16. This is uh, a thousand years before Christ. Um, And then Zechariah as well says that they will look on the one whom they have pierced. Mm. Um, And then, of course, there's the famous uh, prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Christ, that he would be pierced for our transgressions. Um, The thing that jumped out at me was they're predicting this before crucifixion was even a mode of execution. Yeah. So it's like, how did they know Jesus would die on a cross before like people died that way? Yeah. So that jumped out at me like, all right, something, there must be, there's obviously another power um, that's at work here. Um, And sometimes in life, I've, I feel that at times, yeah. you know, um, that there's another power at work, and namely, now we know him to be the Holy Spirit, but yeah. I digress. Um, <laughs> so now it says that he would be crucified with thieves, Isaiah 53:12. Wow, that he would have lots cast for his clothing. That actually happened. Yeah. So Psalm 22, thousand years before Christ, this is foretold. John 19, historical account of a man who witnessed the crucifixion, says that's, that's what happened that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53, 9, that he would be resurrected and exalted, Psalm 16, verse 10, Isaiah 52, verse 13. Um, this all happened, and we'll talk about that next, that he would also ascend into heaven, mm-hmm. Psalm 68, verse 18. Um, so I guess, you know, like a lot of this stuff is eye-opening, and it was eye-opening for me then, um, and I think after going through all this, it's like, all right, it's time for me to get off the fence. Yeah. Because I was a skeptic. I wasn't a believer. I wasn't following Jesus. My lifestyle was not following Jesus. Um, This one showed me there's more than just human beings writing stuff here. Yeah. There's a higher power at work. So, PJ, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think it's a powerful testament. And I think what you pointed out, too, with the crucifixion, that wasn't even a mode. It's amazing how many of these things they didn't see coming until it happened. Like God, yeah. like there was all of these right. seeds and kind of foretellings, and there's some very clear prophecies in the Old Testament, and there's some prophecies that they didn't even realize what they meant or that they were a prophecy until they happened. Um, and I just think of those who recorded these and those who followed Jesus. I mean, these are primarily Jewish people at the beginning, and they were familiar with these. And so if if he didn't match the bill, right, if they were looking for all of these things and this guy says, I'm the son of God, I'm here to fulfill it all, and then he didn't match those prophecies, he didn't match who they were expecting, um, they probably wouldn't have been willing to die for him. They probably wouldn't have spent their life trying to tell people about this guy. And so it is a powerful testament to who he is, um, that in his coming, in what he did, all of a sudden everything that they had been told through the scriptures made sense, and that they believed so clearly that he fit what was foretold that they were willing to spend their life dedicated to that. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, they, they did that, and then they gave up their lives. You know, all of the disciples died yeah. um, and were murdered, except for one, yeah. the Apostle John. But they all were murdered for their faith, the, uh, the New Testament authors. Um, and you know, one of my friends is like, well, did they make any money off of this? And I'm like, 
No, they had probably terrible lives. Yeah. Like, they <laughs> believed in this guy so much that they were okay with being poor, uh, traveling around, sharing the good news of his death and resurrection. Being imprisoned. Being imprisoned. Beaten. I mean, they basically didn't really have great existence, but there was a higher purpose of sharing about Jesus. So after his death and resurrection, I, I, I love how um, in Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King, he says the, the death of Christ, he calls that the end. Yeah. But then he calls the resurrection the beginning. Hmm. And that's really how it turned it's out. So true. Because then, boom, after the resurrection, those apostles went out and changed the world. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and like you said, the, the end when he died, they kind of gave up hope for it. I mean, they were hiding. They were fearful. They had, you know, you have a story of uh, two disciples on the road. They're walking to a town called Emmaus, and Jesus comes next to them. And, and they're mourning because they thought this guy had been the Messiah, but his death seems to have undercut that, undermined it. And so they kind of had given up hope, but it's in his resurrection and realizing that he's back that, Everything kind of made sense and clicked. Um, so yeah. they didn't leave that cross thinking, all right, we need to go tell everyone. Something happened even afterwards that shifted their entire worldview. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, so let's shift to, all right, who is Jesus? Yeah. And piggybacking on what you just said, one of the things that really changed my mind when I was a skeptic was the story of Paul. Mm. So Paul is a Pharisee. He doesn't believe in Jesus. Correct, yeah. He thinks Christians are crazy cult leaders. Mm -hmm. He is having them put into prison. He is approving the murder of a historical figure by the name of Stephen. This is recorded in Acts chapter 7 and 8. Um, he was, Stephen was the first deacon in the church, one of the first. Um, and then all of a sudden, you have a Paul who the Christians were afraid of coming across, like, hey, this guy's going to beat us up or take us into jail. He is also um, racist in that he thinks Jews are superior yeah. than other <laughs> races. Um, but then something changes, and all of a sudden, he goes to become a church planner. <laughs> he starts planning churches. He starts telling Jews that Jesus is the Son of God. He starts to... Uh, not only plant churches, but uh, give up his own life for the well-being of these churches. Traveling, getting beaten, getting scourged, getting stoned, getting his ship shipwrecked on his way to uh, plant churches or visit churches he's planted. Yeah. So he just, all, what on earth changed? And what we know changed is he encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jesus Christ actually appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting my people, which is me and my body. Um, and then, of course, uh, Saul goes on to become a believer after that, of course, because he saw him. And then he gets baptized. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to uh, change the world. But initially, the disciples, when they saw post-converted Paul, were still scared. <laughs> they were of still terrified, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so the resurrection of Jesus has those eyewitnesses. Um, in addition, I remember having a conversation with some friends, and they go, you know, the, some of these gospel accounts just don't uh, sound like they're written uh, in a historical fashion, um, or they just sound like tales. 
And I said, really? Um, from my research, if they were made up tales, there would be nothing in the disciples' favor to include women mm. as the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Because in first century Jewish culture, they were not, they were not considered equal to men. Yeah. So in the gospel accounts, however, you see Mary Magdalene, who we believe to be a former prostitute who came to know Jesus as her savior, as well, as well as other women being the first eyewitnesses. Yeah. Uh, so uh, historians um, such as an author such as Tim Keller um, and, and others point out this would be the worst way to fabricate this in that culture. Yeah, if you wanted it to spread, if you wanted this message to take hold, you would put that eyewitness account into somebody who has a higher status, who people are like, oh, really, they said it? Versus people who were usually dismissed or not given the same attention and privilege. Right, absolutely. So you have women who are the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection, um, and then you have um, James, who's the Lord's brother, mm -hmm. who also goes from being a non-believer to a believer because he had the resurrected Jesus appear to him as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that one makes sense to me because, like, PJ, if you're my brother, I'm not thinking you're God. Yeah, if you okay. grew up with me. Yeah, and, and so that makes sense that he didn't think his brother was God. Yeah. But then something changed his mind. It was the resurrection. There's so much more here. But in, in this digression, which is actually the most important point of both of these podcasts on the Bible, Definitely. is who do you think Jesus is? You have to wrestle with his claims. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be raised from the dead. And he's claiming to come again and judge the world and judge your conduct on this earth. Mm -hmm. He's going to do a performance of evaluation of your life at the end of your life. Uh, and those are my words. But <laughs> do you see... So these are things that are unprecedented from other historical figures. Yeah. Okay, so Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna aren't claiming all that. Th this is some higher level resume claims. Yeah. I think we better, if you're a human being, you better answer those questions and look into it. Yeah. Because there's a lot at stake there. Yeah. You, everyone has to answer the question, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that he reigns? Do you believe he's coming again? Um, do you believe he was resurrected? And as we think about what the Bible is and what it's for. I mean, the Bible is very clear that its purpose is to ultimately point us to Jesus. Now, it does a lot of things, right? It's the authoritative, definitive account of God and his dealing with his people. Um, but the Gospel of John does this really well. So first off, it accounts, uh, there's a story in there where people are trying to use with their scriptures, so what we call the Old Testament or the Tanakh in the uh, Hebrew faith, um, and they're using it to question him. And Jesus makes the point that you search the scriptures seeking eternal life but actually they bear witness about me. And he's saying that all that Old mm. Testament, all of those stories of God and Abraham and creation and his people and the prophets ultimately are all pointing towards Jesus. And you mentioned yeah. this earlier, that they're foretelling, they're pointing forward to him. Um, and then at the end, uh, John, kind of like Luke had that introduction where he kind of explains what the letter is about. John does something similar where he explains why he wrote what he wrote. And so in John chapter 20, he says you could have written a lot of things, right? He says you could fill the whole world with books about what Jesus said and did and taught. But he specifically says these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So yes. if you want to know why did John write his book about Jesus, it's because he wants people to believe that Jesus is the yeah. Son of God. That's, that's right. the whole goal of Scripture. Right. So he's the hero of the story. 
Yeah. He's central to all 66 books. Yep. He's central, obviously, to the gospel accounts. Yeah. Um, and so I think that this final kind of unit of thought on Jesus's view of scripture goes back to, the, the, and that's where I'm going to go next, is, you know, do you believe he's an authority for your life? Now, most of our listeners, I think, or many of them already believe that he is your Lord. Yeah. So pay attention to what he says as the central figure of scripture, as the one to be believed in. He responds to attacks from men and the devil with the phrase, it is written. Matthew 4, 11, 21, 26, Mark 7, 11, 14, Luke chapter 10, chapter 20, chapter 24, John 6, it is written, it is written, it is written. So PJ, when he's saying that, he's quoting from something he believes to be an authority. Yeah. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. Um, and then in addition, um, after he is raised from the dead, he tells the apostles, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Hmm. So that's shorthand. You just, you just graduated from Concordia Seminary. So that's shorthand for the Old Testament, yeah. right? The law, the prophets, the Psalms is the wisdom literature. Yeah. Um, it must be fulfilled. And then here's a statement that always has jumped out at me. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament here in John chapter 10, verse 35. And he says, the scripture cannot be broken. So that's his response to the Pharisees who were like trying to accuse him of stuff. Um, and then essentially what he is saying there when he says the scripture cannot be broken is he's saying it's without error. And the way it predicts stuff's going to happen is going to happen. And then he actually demonstrates Does that. Um, uh, Jesus refers to names and events in the Old Testament as history. So he refers to Moses as the writer of the first five books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. He refers to Jonah as a historical person. First Adam. Uh, yep, he, there you go. Um, and, then, and then this then lends itself to the rest of the New Testament as well. So he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's verifying the authority of the Old Testament. But then what gives, how did the apostles get their divine authority? Well, it says in John 14 and 16 that he would give them the Holy Spirit, who, would, who is a, the third member of the Trinity, we believe, and is a higher power, that he would inspire them in a special way and guide them into all truth. Hmm. So the apostles then took that and they preached before they wrote, right? Yep. So the preached word comes before the written word. Oh, yeah. And lives and histories change through the preached word first. But then, of course, as Old Testament authors and New Testament authors they only wrote to preserve what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's ultimately how we get our Bible. Yeah. And so, yeah. I was going to say, we're even told in Acts that um, sometimes we forget that after Jesus rose, he spent another 40 days with the apostles teaching and explaining. So right. the light bulb goes off when Jesus rises, and then he spends 40 days sitting with them. They eat together, and he explains about the kingdom. And so these apostles not only walked with them during his ministry, but for 40 more days were poured into. And so when we read the New Testament, these are people who Jesus said, this is how the world is. This is who I am. And they turned around and told people, this is how the world is. This is who Jesus is. And so um, they're even getting it straight from Jesus. And so yeah. that gives credibility to the New Testament writings. that This is what Jesus wanted them to proclaim. 
And at any point, you know, when we think of the letters that Paul wrote or these gospel accounts, you know, the people who had encountered Jesus, who had encountered the apostles could have said, wait, wait, that sounds different than the message we were told. That sounds different than what Jesus said. But those who had experienced him affirmed it. Yeah, that we got to keep replicating this. We got to keep passing this on because this matches exactly what he'd mm-hmm. been proclaiming all along. This is what Jesus wanted us to teach. Wow. Awesome, PJ. Um, I think that that is enough food for thought for our listeners to uh, grapple with and wrestle with. And if you were blessed by today's podcast, we would encourage you uh, to subscribe or follow and then also to share it with anyone else that you think could be encouraged or strengthened in their faith. And, and then, of course, as we go into this you know, topic, the whole point of this is not just to know that the scriptures are divinely inspired, but to read them and to find a local church where there is biblical preaching and to take in the word of God as the bread of life and food uh, for your soul. And so uh, if you have any other questions, please submit them to hello at sjdenver.org, and we'll see you next time.